Malcolm Holmline is executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. He joins us every Friday morning, 7.40 a.m. Eastern Time for the weekly update. Mr. Holmline, welcome back to JM in the AM. Is he there? Mr. Holmline. All right. Not quite sure what happened there. All right, we'll take this break. Be back with more coming up. You're listening to JM in the AM. And we'll try this one more time. How's that? Friday morning, Erev Shabbos. Malcolm Honline is executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. He's with us Friday morning, 7.40 a.m. Eastern Time for the weekly update. Mr. Honline, welcome back to JM in the AM. Thank you. It's good ah. to be with you. I hope you hear me now. Woo! I do hear you now. Baruch Hashem. Baruch Hashem. Malcolm, I hate to start with this story, but as you can imagine, the collective Jewish heart around the world uh, certainly is in pain and agony for the family from Cleveland, Ohio, that suffered this terrible loss of their son, the Silverberg family, out in Denver. What is your reaction when in the United States in 2021, young criminals can walk into a yeshiva and gun down, literally murder a yeshiva boy? And and shoot four times at the principal who came to the door. I mean, I've been on top of it, uh, speaking to the people there and through the SCAN, the Secure Community Network, which has been in touch with the Denver police. And uh, st- they still contend, at least they did as of uh, the middle of the night when we last spoke, that this was not an anti-Semitic tactic. This was a crime spree where they had taken, um, which t- took a heavier toll. There was somebody else who was on uh, life support in a hospital, uh, having been shot by them and that they had uh, undertaken a number of uh, criminal acts during the, in, prior to that during the night, and that four out of the five are, are, were arrested, and they were looking for their last uh, uh, perpetrator, uh, believed to be perpetrator. It's a tragedy that it's hard to, to even address, and, and nobody can be indifferent to, to such a, a vicious attack, on, and the, the reports and the Levaya, the comments about this uh, young boy were just unbelievable. So it's a uh, yeah, it's a statement of the time, and and in every major city you have shootings, you have uh, these record numbers of of, um, of criminal acts, and uh, I don't know what uh, you can offer so, the family condolences, but in the community, but so it's was the reality. It, so is it the fact that I'm just trying to understand the reaction of the media and and essentially of the country. Uh, it was was it the fact that the police, you know, are are drawing this conclusion that it was simply a crime spree and not a hate crime that keeps this out of the general headlines? Because 
you know that there are certain institutions that if a gunman or a gang would have walked in and 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 murdered somebody under different circumstances in, in a you know in a different uh, in a different type of building, you know it would have gotten national headlines and tremendous attention. Is this not getting the attention simply because they don't think or they're releasing information that doesn't indicate that it's a hate crime? You know, I just think people are overwhelmed right now with uh, these events. And in the Jewish community, it doesn't matter whether it was a hate crime or not. I think the, the outpouring is, is immense everywhere. Uh, but the police did say that it was not a hate crime and have been consistent in that message based on what happened. But the, even the, the details at first, that it was outside, then it was inside, and they yeah. tried to get into the building, they did shoot in the building. So we'll get more clarity on it. But then the police said last night to us that if, in, in fact, they see any evidence that's a hate crime, they will... They will make it public, right? But, I, but I, I didn't, that's only in the targeting. It's not in the execution of it. They, right. they clearly knew what right. who they were shooting. Understood. I, I just need your perspective because, frankly, nobody has your experience, and nobody usually has your, you know, balance when it comes to these things. Should we be outraged or not? And and I think you're right. By the way, they were so overwhelmed in general by so many stories in and out of the community that you know sometimes things do get somewhat overlooked by the media. Should we be concerned? that there was not the national media attention and outrage that there typically might be in other circumstances, or in this case, it's justified? It's not justified in any way. And I, I'm equally upset about it and the fact that, that uh, a shooting like this, uh, as brutal a, a killing as this, regardless of who the victim was, right. uh, should have been uh, a subject of outrage. But uh, I'm, my concern is that we become inured to it, that we right. become so used to it and that the numbers of shootings are so great that the media doesn't pay attention to it. Yeah. And if there's not a, some sort of spectacular aspect that it was a you know a racist or, or anti-Semitic attack, I wonder, though, had the victim been uh, somewhat different, right. whether there would have been greater outrage. Right. Understood. Uh, terrible. Uh, condolences, of course, to the family. And yes, they need to know that the collective Jewish heart everywhere internationally uh, is is in agony over what happened, and uh, and you know I, I talk about freedom and independence. You know you you think that uh, we're 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 in a place that uh, ra- random killings, especially you know um, when it comes to our community, uh, are either not possible or so rare. And then of course we get this wake up call this week. Speaking of wake up calls, I think the entire United States and the world got a wake up call in the aftermath of what we discussed last Friday. Uh, which was the fall of uh, Kabul and what was going on in Afghanistan. My gosh, Malcolm, what a difference, or I should say how much more so uh, over the last seven days since we last spoke about this. How, how do you even, how can you even sum up uh, um, uh, how the world views the United States? You have made such a point over the last decades with us uh, about the impression uh, of reliability that the U.S. must maintain in this world. Uh, what does this Afghanistan episode do to that? Well, one thing, it's it's devastating on, on many levels. And, uh, you know, in the Middle East, even more than other parts of the world, but it's true universally, how people perceive us is how they determine what, their own actions will be the degree to which they can rely on us, the degree in which they will turn to the United States and, and not those who oppose us. Yeah. I think this has had a shattering effect 
I think it, uh, we, we don't even understand the long-term repercussions. Number one, of Afghanistan itself, people should take a look at the map and see where Afghanistan is, bordering on, on uh, Pakistan and nuclear power, on the Muslim states of, of Central Asia, Turkmenistan, Tajikistan, all of them have to worry. Even Iran has to worry. And Iran, as you know, has been using Afghani Sunni fighters in Syria as their front. They have a Sunni population, and they're worried about the radicalization. And along their border, uh, which they have a long border with, with um, Afghanistan as well, they, the, this is something that was they were planning all along, and it doesn't appear that we were planning uh, properly uh, for it. The fear on the part of many countries, and especially our European friends, so-called, uh, about the influx of millions of refugees who could flow out of Afghanistan uh, if they can get out and, and go through the, some of the neighboring countries, the way that Russia, China will exploit this in the region, the way that Iran will exploit it in the region, and look at the statements that Raisi has already made about this and how this emboldens Hezbollah, Hamas. What will happen to the billions of dollars in weapons? Will they share it with their terrorist counterparts? Will they? How destabilizing this is way beyond uh, the region. You know, that the, the Taliban have a political office in Doha. They have uh, postings in other countries. They have liaisons with, with other terrorist groups. And the, the, uh, the message that this uh, sent them with the, the, the swiftness with which they could take over the country, yeah. that they got our Blackhawk helicopters, they got a light air, uh, aircraft from us, attack aircraft from uh, the American supplies. All of these things will have tremendous ramifications in the immediate region and far beyond it. But most of all, the perception of the United States, people act based on how, what they believe we will do, and now they don't believe that America will stand with them, and that's something that has to be addressed immediately. And you, the U.S., have become so unreliable for us, the average citizens of Afghanistan, that we have to cling to aircraft that's about to take off in order to try to escape the country. I mean, that image is just, you know, going to sit with people for God knows how long. And who will work with us in, in, in the next place where we need uh, domestic locals to, to yeah. stand with us, even, even as translators, let alone right. as people who cooperated and co or collaborated with the United States, and we, we made promises to them. We can't even get out the Americans right now. I mean, it's so devastatingly upsetting, and, and uh, you know, the, you have to think about what 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 was going through the heads? How did they allow this kind of situation to obtain? You know, we put $83 billion in weapons into this country in the last 20 years. Wow. We have invested so much more than people know because, you know, if, if there isn't an open conflict, people don't don't take note. And, and you had this interim period where you didn't have the Taliban in, in charge. But they were operating all this time. They were building. They were planning. They were uh, ready to execute or, or immediately. And to, to sweep across the country, and then we're told, well, we couldn't anticipate it, we didn't know it, we didn't think it would happen. It's, uh, you know, it, there, there's so many ramifications that, that we see of this and how this resonates around the world and, and, and the threats that are made to other of our allies saying, you saw what happened to them. Look at what Hezbollah is saying. Look what others are saying in the region. Yeah. When when this all began 20 years ago, was it the Taliban that was giving cover to al-Qaeda? 
or was there an alliance between the two of them? What was what was going on that we uh, uh, when we then we decided to go into Afghanistan? We knew that Bin Laden was there. Like what was the? Yeah, it was against Bin Laden, and it was about the nine uh, eleven. No, no, it was that to I go know. After the people but, executed the the attack, but was there a, a an agreement, an arrangement between the two groups? Was there a cooperation between the two groups? As I recall, there was a, I would say a tolerance of the of the of the groups that the Taliban. Uh, government allowed them to to function, um, and and Iran also, by the way, allowed Taliban to to hide in Iran and uh, and Al Qaeda to hide in Iran across across that very porous border. But yes, that was the the circumstance. Because it, we I'm thought sure, we addressed it. Because I'm sure I'm not the only one. You know, Taliban and Hezbollah and Al Qaeda and Boko Haram and Hamas and ISIS and Muslim Brotherhood. Yet to us, to the average person in the West, I think that you know we, we lumped them all together. Are, are, are there great? No, di- are they're there- not one. They're not one. And this is like a hydra, a multi-headed uh, uh, animal that has um, independent uh, entities. They have linkages between various ones, and some of them are, by the way, competing um, entities. But they, and you have the Sunni Shiite divide, you have other divides, ideological divides. Uh, Taliban is, is not the same as, uh, for instance, Iran's, uh, and, and remember that they are radical Sunnis, and, and the, the Iraq Iranians are radical Shiites. And, they, and they're worried about the Sunni population in. Side Afghanistan, they have to worry about the the, the Sunni, the Shiite population, uh, Shia population in uh, Afghanistan, as well as the Sunnis who who are there inside Iran. The, everything has multiple ramifications. It's just, you know, people address this with such simplicity, yeah. and and that's why we warned about it because we knew the West didn't understand it. They can't. They didn't see. The, the significance and what the nature of these movements are. And the truth is we could crush them. That's the, the frustrating thing to me is that they could be dealt with. But it needs resolution. It needs to have the resolve of the West. And this is not just the Democratic or Republican thing. We've been doing this for too long through over the years, too much tolerance of it. Everybody thinking that they could know better how to deal with it. When these guys understand one thing, strength. When President Bush II made the speech about the axis of evil, we yeah. were at the height of our power because they really believed that he would do things. When uh, What Trump's advantage was is that they thought he really could carry out some of these attacks. There was a fear of, of them. And when they don't, and not a fear, and they, they will take advantage of and exploit every weakness, every opening. And, that, and they do that. And that's how they operate and, and, and succeed. They, they don't have to invest multi-billion dollars to build infrastructures and staff, and, and uh, they, they recruit, they exploit, they kidnap people to make money. They are in the drug business, and I'm talking about Taliban, uh, very much so involved in it, and they are able to extract enough money to function. Uh, you remember 20 years ago, was there no choice? The, the spirit or the atmosphere in the United States was at that time that there was no choice but to militarily take some action to show this country that we wouldn't tolerate, you know, People, people killing thousands of people on our own soil. I mean, that's the way I remember it because people yeah. are criticizing, you know, George W. Now for going in and creating all this. But I don't, I don't know if the American people would have had, would have tolerated anything else other than some type of military action at that point. They demanded action. It, the act was so horrific. But if you look at the cumulative numbers of people that they kill uh, and that die in these terrorist attacks, and how many, you know, in Europe, the Iranians kill people. 
kidnap them off the streets, bring them home. Turkey does it. Others do it. And we, we tolerate it. We find excuses. We, we want to negotiate with people who keep telling us that they want to destroy us. I mean, Raisi has made very clear what his views are, and the fact is that they're stalling the talks. Uh, they, they, are, they don't care about the needs of their people. They will sacrifice them. People are dying in Iran in, in incredible numbers from COVID, as they are in other countries that, that devote the money to terrorism and to all sorts of terrible uh, activities at home and, and abroad. The, you see what happened in Lebanon. The country is in total ruins economically, and, the, and Hezbollah is, is um, stepping up their efforts and, and threatening Israel and saying that they're importing uh, gas from Iran and oil. And if you touch it, you know, we will get you anybody in the West. And people are intimidated then by it. And they blame now the United States, and they blame Lebanon. And, by the way, in the whole region, you see that in Algeria, they're blaming the fires on Israel and Morocco. <laughs> I mean, it's so ludicrous. You think it's funny, but the people in Algeria are buying it. They get fed this diet that, that the fires are because of the, of the interference of foreign entities. It's why this is so complex and so frustrating to be able to communicate the reality of what's happening on the ground that Iran continues all of its activities, you know, where you see publicly welcomes the defeat of the United States, makes the statements, uh, you know, to that are very harsh. But at the same time, you know, he has to address the internal chaos, the demonstrations, and we do nothing to support the groups inside Iran now, which is what we should be doing. Yeah, that might be better than military action. Yes, it would, and they're they're engaging in in cyber attacks which are very devastating. People don't know there was an attack. The Chinese did an attack on Israel this week, but the Iranians are constantly doing uh, cyber attacks. They have whole units that are officially charged uh, with, uh, with doing these things. And the uh, escalation, in, in when you think about Israel's direct challenge, that uh, Hezbollah and, and the uh, it's allies inside the Lebanon and diminishing allies. The people are rising up against it, and yet the West doesn't do anything to try to and, and change this situation to get rid of Hezbollah to at least diminish Hezbollah. And the the uh, actions inside Syria, where Iran Iranian militias are again, and now Russia is is uh, you know activating the anti aircraft, which limits Israel's ability. So Israel has to fly over Lebanon. And the, then they challenged it at the U.N. yesterday. They filed a complaint that Israel is violating their airspace. Yeah, because you're protecting the lives of the people. The currency in, Iran, in Lebanon is down 90 percent. Wow. Half the population is living in poverty. Where, where's the outrage about it? Where are they talking about it? I'm sure the squad will uh, speak up about the uh, conditions that both women and children are going through in countries like that at this point. It's America's one and only Jewish Moments in the Morning Radio program. Heard on listeners-sponsored digital radio, around the world, the web, at com, on the Nahum Siegel Network, and, of course, on the beloved NSN app. By the way, there's a counterterrorism guide online. I'm sure you've seen this, because there are probably more than one, uh, which goes through every country in the world that has terrorist activity on a regular basis, you know, where there's a real presence of groups like the Taliban, etc. It, it, it's impossible to clean up this situation with the U.S. military. It is, it's not possible. There's so many of these groups dominating so many areas in so many countries uh, that it's impossible. The only way is what you described earlier is to support those within the country that really want to make change, that really want to see things. And by the way, in Afghanistan, the same thing. There's now there there would now be a method 
I'm not saying it would get you know Joe Biden back on everybody's uh, you know uh, good side of the list, but you know there's there are methods now to support groups that are trying to stand up against the Taliban at this point. And if the United States really sincerely wanted to see a change in government there, that's who they would be supporting. But we can cut off the oxygen to these groups. It means that with the sanctions work. They worked in Iran. We just yesterday decided to hold up the $7 billion that is being held in the United States. They froze that money that Afghanistan needs, although God knows how much money that they've taken. Supposedly hundreds of millions of dollars were found in the house of the president that escaped. Um, But the, the, the fact is, in each of these places, they need to get supplies. They need financing by by putting down the markers, and when we put them down tough and said, you will not do business in the United States, you will not have access to SWIFT, you will not have access to central banks, until today, it works. And we can, we can chug, choke them off, take away the, the supplies, take away the, um, as I said, the oxygen that enables them to continue to function, and we can diminish them. And then the local forces can, can take uh, action. It will be much more effective. That's to challenge them as they are now, I mean, I don't see any local forces, although there are a lot of, there is a lot of dissent inside Afghanistan. They are trying to crush it now, going region by region and crushing the, uh, the elements of resistance that, uh, that exist. But the people want these things, and the people would get the support if they would know, if the people in Iran would hear resonance when there are dem- thousands of demonstrations taking place, and nobody in the West cares. Nobody stands up for them. Yeah. And they're willing to put their lives on the line for it. But if the president of the United States or anybody in the administration would act the way you just described, it wouldn't be making headlines. It wouldn't show the world that, you know, we're the U.S. who's coming in to save the day, like often, you know, we try to do with the military. It would be a behind-the-scenes act that, frankly, wouldn't get any headlines, and that would prevent people from doing it. It's sad, but I think that that's one of the reasons that people don't do it. And that Washington- Look how clever and shrewd I think Putin is how he's manipulating himself into all these circumstances, including into Africa, with nothing. He has no economy. He, he, he doesn't even make an investment of manpower generally. But if you're clever and you, you, you know how to leverage his situations, and he takes advantage of the weakness of the West. He's been pretty quiet on the whole Afghanistan situation, right? Yes. Look, it's it's not good for him either. If this, uh, and you know that he has a huge Muslim population. The radicalization of that population is a great threat to them. And you remember what they did to the Chechens and to others. Um, yeah. they, they, a very significant part of the military officers in Russian army are Muslims today. And their radicalization and, and the radicalization of the population is a direct threat to the to the to Russia. Um. Is this the only thing that uh, the only good thing? <laughs> I have to be careful how I say this. Uh, um, it's funny to watch how both Republicans and Democrats who have not been able to agree on anything in the last few years, when it came to this, they had no problem being in full agreement about uh, how the administration blew it with uh, Afghanistan, how specifically uh, they blew it when it came to uh, supporting those and evacuating those who have been working for the United States. Uh, all this time. Um, uh, is he going to survive this, Joe Biden? Is he going to be able to uh, to make it through all this criticism as this episode does not seem to be even close to over? 
Well, I would. I think we have to think of the consequences if he doesn't survive it, because you know, we, we, you know, you know what you got. You don't know what you're going to get, and you know, he has been resistant to some of the more extreme forces in the Democratic Party. I know all the speculation about his health, about his his capacities and stuff. I, I, I don't know the answers to it. Um, the, the this is far more complicated than people who make simplistic assessments about it. Um, uh, you know, should think mo- more deeply about the um, the consequences of, of this. Can he survive politically? I don't know, but I can tell you that the people who do the assessments about 2022 and the uh, congressional elections are saying that it, that the chances of Republicans taking one or even both houses increases every day. Right. Uh, and as the story stays in the headlines, I guess that would just continue to increase. Uh, let me switch to a couple other things for a second. Do we know who's responsible for the fire near Yerushalayim this week? Was it arson? Was it not? Do we know? It appears to be arson, and uh, you know that it flared up again, did a lot of damage, uh, and many countries came and helped, um, including, uh, by the way, some Palestinian firefighters came and helped, and the, they were wow. thanked publicly this morning uh, or like, during the night. Uh, so the country, the fires around Yerushalayim were under control. They flared up again on, uh, I guess, Thursday in Israel. Uh, they are under control, from what I understand, but they're still burning. And they, they, they did a lot of damage. I mean, houses were destroyed. And yes, it's believed to be arson. Uh, speaking of rescue efforts, not a criticism if they weren't able to, but do you know if Israel sent anybody to Haiti this week? Israel sent aid to Germany recently. They... Uh, sent they offered aid to Turkey for after their floods, right. and I'm certain as they did in the past that they yes yes they did send assistance. The Israel group went to uh, Haiti. If Israel would not have been warned by Nasrallah, would they have gone after this tanker? Like Nasrallah is issuing this warning because he wants to try to guarantee that oil that they're quote unquote importing to Lebanon makes it there. But if he wouldn't have issued this warning, would Israel be interested in stopping this tanker anyway? I don't think Israel takes its orders from Nasrallah. I think they do what they think is practical and pragmatic. Um, oil is something which they need, that people need to, to just to function, and the government as well. But Israel's choking off many things for Hezbollah, and uh, I don't think would pass up an opportunity to do something effective if they thought it was uh, practical. Mm. Uh, what's with the Qatar money that's going directly to people in Gaza? So this is a deal they worked out through the UN. It's been the money's been held up for quite a while. Uh, you know, people think that the, when they see the aggregate amounts, but it means a hundred dollars that's going to a hundred thousand people. Um, and these are all ones approved by Israel, not to believe believed to be members of Hamas or uh, officials of Hamas. And the PA is the one that was fighting. It wasn't Israel. It was the Palestinian Authority who didn't want money to going anywhere to anybody in Gaza or anybody uh, who, who may have had some affiliation. Uh, but this is humanitarian aid, and because it's it's monitored, that uh, Israel is comfortable with uh, forwarding it, and they reached an accord about how it would be distributed. And that means it's going to go directly to the people who need it. Right. right? That's the point. I mean. Right. Uh, because you've described to us what happens with aid money in general when it gets, it gets to Gaza. Siphoned off and, yeah, it doesn't get much further than that. Um, uh, when is the Bennett-Biden meeting, and, and is it still scheduled? 
Right. So as of now, it's still scheduled. He's scheduled to arrive here, I think, on Wednesday. He's leaving Tuesday from Israel. He arrives here Wednesday. Uh, he'll have the meeting on the, uh, Thursday and then probably leave Thursday to get back for Shabbos. Um, all right. So that meeting is still on. Now, uh, does the Afghanistan uh, episode change the agenda of this meeting? And there, the reason I say it is because there have been more than one opinion piece uh, that now the United States and the world should understand what Israel always says about evacuating somewhere and leaving a vacuum to be filled by a terrorist group, which is, of course, what Israel's always concerned about when people demand that they leave somewhere. Um, although there's always an exception when it comes to Israel, right? Because everything applies to everybody except when it comes to the Jews, we feel differently. Do you think that this will change the agenda of the meeting? It will certainly impact the agenda. Uh, I think that the logical conclusion should be the one that you outlined, but you can't assume that there will be logic. Uh, <laughs> when when, when people proposed, and you know, Kerry proposed that Israel do the same thing that we, we did with the, the Taliban, essentially, right. uh, and Israel has always said we're not going to rely on anybody else, and this is the, the message, again, that, that Israel has to be able to rely on itself to defend itself under any circumstance. You know, they're all shifting alliances. I do believe, by the way, that the Abraham Accords will be strengthened by what happened in in uh, Afghanistan. Uh, many people think that it will shift and it will weaken. I think it will strengthen it because they will look more and more to Israel. That the uh, that other countries will also reassess and and recognize that we have one country that can't pull out, that can't doesn't have options uh, either, and that is the stationary aircraft carrier for for the region. So I think that this could be incentivize uh, people, obviously diminishes their confidence in the West. You see already Egypt flirting and buying stuff, weapons from uh, from Russia. Uh, you see all of the countries that will take advantage of this. I'm sure Turkey and Iran, everybody will take advantage in their way, even though they, they have to be worried about some of the consequences uh, as well. So the the message here is very clear for Israel, I think above all. I think the meeting is meant to be uh, will, will be a successful one. They will talk about Iran. They will not necessarily agree, but Iran is right now the one holding up the talks in Vienna, and Raisi does not seem to want to make a deal. And, and we know that the enrichment, by the way, that was substantiated by the International Atomic Energy Agency, that they're enriching much faster, much more, and moving ahead on every area towards a, a nuclear weapon, at, at a greater speed that they have another uh, cascade of centrifuges, which is at a much more advanced centrifuges that are, are producing it so that they can enrich much faster. And they their stockpiles are much greater. They're supposed to enrich at 3.67%. Now we're talking about that they're uh, producing steadily at, at 20, but they can get up to 60%. 90% is weapons grade. That the um, the infrastructure there is is being uh, upgraded and built all the time. So in the meantime, while everybody is stalling on the talks, they're moving ahead on the weaponization, on the, on the ballistic missile development, and on their uh, production of weapons of for more conventional weapons, submarines, and other things of that kind. Yeah. So this the, the message is very clear to everybody. And the question is, what do they do about it? How do you get the Europeans to finally understand that their survival is at stake? 
you, 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 that we, we have seen it over and over again now that the uh, influx of Muslim populations from Turkey, from other countries, and now that you know, many people say it is too late. Well, I don't believe it's ever too late to take at least steps now to to stop the threat, to address it, to help the Muslim populations in these countries who who are going to be persecuted because of it. So this is not a racial or a religious bias in, inherent in this. This is facing reality and seeing how do you protect people's human rights and the stability of the world. Yeah. Not too late to uh, acknowledge and appreciate our freedom and independence in this country that we still have, as long as it lasts. I mean, we still have it. And that has to be emphasized. Look uh, at the deaths in all these countries, at least in yeah. America, people are getting vaccines. In yeah. in in, um, in Iran, they don't admit that the death toll is at least 10 times what they admit. And they do have mass graves. And now the second wave, and they did not import the, the vaccines. We know that some of what they are uh, touting are are not real vaccines. They said they were going to produce their own. So their people are paying the price for this. Yeah. Uh, finally, speaking of COVID, the situation in Israel continues to get worse. They're actually considering postponing the start of the school year in Israel. And uh, I think most of us are considering postponing our October trips to Israel, the way things are looking. Um, I, I think, I mean, I, mean I, I cited the Ezra Klein article. I, I think we this is going to be with us for a while. I, I think we all have to acknowledge that at this point. This is going to be with us longer than any of us anticipated. And if we don't start learning to live with it, Instead of just uh, locking everyone down and keeping people out of other each and every you know country out there, then we're gonna have a completely different worldwide society. I think we have no choice but to uh, learn to live with this uh, COVID situation and act accordingly. Well, unfortunately, I think that the Yom Tovim are are out. I know that hotels have called to cancel um, reservations that people have made for the for Sukkot. And, and uh, hopefully by October, November, they will, it will open up again. But there's no assurance. I think it is with us. Israel has taken very um, strong precautionary measures, and, and already a significant percentage have gotten the third shot that we will start in September doing. Um, but, the uh, yeah, I do believe that this is going to be around for a while, and we'll have to learn to live with it and cope with it. And people should comply with all of the orders, and whether it's wearing a mask on a plane or whether it's in, in going into buildings, and you know, you're protecting others, even if you don't want to protect yourself. And there have to be very strong messages. Look, we, we have a, we're going into a new year with a, a whole panoply of challenges. We didn't even talk about anti-Semitism. We didn't talk about what the restitution law in Poland denying now the, the Holocaust survivors and their descendants the right to, to make claims. Uh, and, and and some of the manifestations in on, already we're seeing on the campuses, the anti-Israel uh, moves that are, are taking place. Uh, and sometimes positive news like Morocco and Israel going to upgrade to full embassies in uh, in a month or so, and the um, uh, many other things that are in the works that hopefully we'll, we will see the, uh, um, the the progress that is being made too. But we have real challenges, and as people think about the new year that's coming, we're right now overwhelmed by some of the more the dramatic events. 
but there's much more going on, and, and people have to be alert. People have to talk about it. I hope Rabbanim will address it. We'll talk to the young people about the need to be involved, to know what's going on, to understand what's happening. I mean, it's our future, and this is a, a very critical stage now for on many grounds and many reasons that um, I'm sure we will talk about in the new year. Yeah, no question about it. We even we didn't even discuss the whole APAC situation this week and the reaction that J Street and others did publicly. Outrageous uh, reactions, the outrageous statements by Jews. Somebody wrote an article when the Jew bashers are Jews. Well, the Peter Beinarts, the others who are engaging in, in the most vicious anti-Israel propaganda under the guise of being Jews and of being, you know, that they they have, he he wants uh, no more. Uh, two-state solution. He wants a one-state solution, and yet he still gets to be invited to speak at things, and yet so much of, uh, of the problem comes from within the community. Yeah, where and did, there, too, we have to demand standards. Where did those Jewish parents go wrong, I need to know? I need to know how they produced people. Not the of, first that, generation where this has been uh, yeah. been true. So Yeah, that's true. Unfortunately, it's historic. Uh, Malcolm, I thank you. We will speak in two weeks, please, God, and have a wonderful Shabbos. You too. Malcolm Holmline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Uh, he'll join us next for the uh, final weekly update of 5781. Um, oh, no, I'm wrong. Oh, no, I'm right. Uh, he'll join us next at the final uh, weekly update of 5781, two weeks from today. Next week, next Friday, I will be uh, recovering from my what will hopefully be a successful most recent foot surgery. I, I feel like I've told this audience about my foot surgeries God knows how many times over the last 20 years. And you know why it feels that way? Because I have. Anyway, so uh, next week is going to be a uh, a recovery day, and we will have an able-bodied substitute host for JM in the AM. And two weeks from today, we'll do our Erev Rosh Hashanah uh, weekly update with Malcolm right here at JM in the AM.